join me in prayer. Father God, I pray over this gathering together. God, I just pray that uh, as your spirit is in this room, that you would make your spirit known to us, that you would penetrate our hearts, that your scripture and your words would bring life to us, to this community, to the city. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people of this church, that this church is nothing without the people here. God, we are so blessed uh, to have a space, to have people, to have a heart to serve and love you. And God, I just pray that over the course of the next few minutes that we draw closer and closer to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, today is the Good Samaritan parable. And I'm super excited about this parable. At first, I wanted to preach on this parable because I thought this would be a pretty easy parable to preach on. But as with most things in life, the things that you think are going to be really easy end up being really difficult. And this parable is a parable that we're all very familiar with. But when you start diving a little bit deeper into understanding what this parable is all about and what Jesus is telling us in this parable, it starts to really kind of hit home. And so even though I was excited about this parable and I still am excited about this parable, uh, I felt like God really did a lot of things in my life this week preparing for this. And so that's my prayer for you as well, that as you hear these words that... uh, you would feel that as well. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. And your notes are in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to use that. Or you can go old school analog and get a real Bible, uh, whatever you want to do. Um, Let me read this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That's never a good way to start. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But He wanted to justify himself. Not a good sign either. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he put the man on his own donkey, then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Well, after that, let's say hello to our neighbor. So turn to your neighbor (laughs) and say hello, because those are your neighbors. Let's do this. You guys ready? All right. So the story starts with a question from, the, from an expert of the law. And that's important to remember, the expert of the law. That's going to be kind of important in the context of the story. So he asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus asks him how he interprets Scripture. The answer to the question depends on how the man interprets scripture. And this man is an expert in the law. So he knows what scripture says, what is right, what is wrong. He's an expert. And so Jesus says, what's written in the law and how do you read it? And how you read it means, what do you think that it says? And the man answers his own question by reading by quoting scripture. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then the question becomes, how do you define who your neighbor is? That's a great question because many of the decisions that we make in regards to how we treat others is predicated on how we interpret who our neighbor is and how they fit into our preconceived ideas of whether or not they deserve our love. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but I want to just pose this question to you. Do you think you allow your preconceived ideas of people shape how you treat them? Do you think that you allow your preconceived ideas of people shape how you treat them? That's really what this is all about. Who is our neighbor means who is it that I have to love? Are there people that I don't have to love because they're not my neighbors? Then Jesus, in verse 30, he shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is not a new story to any of us, I don't think. I mean, this is a a famous story in pop culture. It's referenced in 
song lyrics, in movies, in poems. There's hospitals called Good Samaritan. There's the Good Samaritan Society. Um, this is not something new. There's actually even, I learned this week, there's a law called the Good Samaritan Law. Has anybody ever heard of the Good Samaritan Law? That means, good news, if you're doing drugs with somebody and somebody overdoses, you can call the police and they won't prosecute you for doing drugs or having drug paraphernalia. Good news. That's called the Good Samaritan Law. So they won't, if you're a Good Samaritan and you happen to be doing drugs with somebody, you got an out. Put that in your back pocket, I don't know. But many sermons have been preached on the Good Samaritan, on the story, and on the man. But when I read this story, the thing that stood out to me this week was not the beaten man. I mean, he's part of the story for sure. The Good Samaritan is part of the story. But the thing that stood out to me most was the priest and the Levite. The whole story hinges on the contrast between the reactions of the priest and the Levite and the Good Samaritan. You know, there's this white and black. There's this um, good, evil kind of thing that's happening in this story. In the parable, Jesus says that the priest and the Levite seen, seeing the beaten man cross over to the other side of the road. I think that's a really important detail, that they saw a person in need and they decided to cross over to the other side of the road. Jesus didn't say that they just walked by they saw the man in need and they crossed over to the other side of the road. So let's talk about some theories about why this may be the case. Why did they choose to see this man and cross over to the other side of the road? Maybe there's a logical explanation. So I've developed three theories and I named them clever names. The first theory I call the benefit of the doubt theory. So perhaps if this man was beaten half to death, like the story says, maybe they saw this man, a body laying there, not moving, and they assumed that he was dead. The priest and the Levite, in an order to not break the law, could not touch a corpse. And so in regards to their own self and their own uh, desire to, to avoid sin, they crossed over and gave him a wide berth. They could have assumed that he was dead so they didn't have to come in contact with a corpse. The second theory I call, ain't nobody got time for that theory. <laughs> they saw the man and they decided that he didn't fit into their schedule, that they didn't have time to deal with him. It wasn't convenient. They would like to help, but it's not a good time. The third theory is, well, I guess you should have thought of that theory. This is, they saw the man beaten, and maybe they made the assumption that he had done something to deserve being beaten. In each of these theories, one thing emerges. The priest and the Levite don't bother to find out. The beaten man's story is not worth discovering. God forbid if they find out that he might be alive, 
they might have to do something. If they stop, they may not make it to their next appointment in time. If they ask questions, they might be expected to help. So let's look at these three theories in context of our own lives. We assume a lot of things about people that may or may not be true, and these assumptions shape our responses. So in the benefit of the doubt theory, benefit of the doubt theory, we might see a couple with a flat tire on the side of the road, and we might look at their car and we might say, that car is pretty new. I bet they have roadside assistance. They've probably already called somebody. There's no point in even stopping. The ain't nobody got time for that theory. You might see a person wandering around campus or around downtown, clearly lost, looking for directions of where they might go. And you say, I don't really have time to help. What if they ask me to walk them to their class? What if they ask me to show them where that building is? If I stop to help, I just don't, my, my, my time's worth too much to stop and help. The whelp, you should have thought of that theory. Well, if you didn't hang out with those friends, he wouldn't have found himself in that situation. If she didn't dress so provocatively, maybe that wouldn't have happened to her. When scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself, I think it might actually mean love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) It's not a mystery. If you saw yourself laying half dead on the side of the road, would you help yourself? If you're unwilling to help yourself in that situation, then we have another conversation to have. But your ability to love others is directly connected to your ability to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, it's really difficult to love others. To the degree in which you love yourself is the degree in which you'll love other people. And that may be a conversation for a different Sunday. When I read this story, the priest and the Levite jump out to me more than the Good Samaritan because they saw a need. And rather than making a move towards the problem, they literally made a move away from the problem. And this kind of complacency and prejudice has no place in Christ's church, in this church, in your life, or in my life. I read this story as a priest and a Levite refusing to help because they have preconceived notions of the beaten man, and rather than asking questions to learn his story, they turn their backs. They make assumptions instead of learning why. Why is this man in this situation? If you don't think this happens today, then you're naive. How many of you, how many of us, have not given a dollar to a homeless man and justify it by saying that he's probably going to use it on booze? How many of us have looked at an overweight person and said, they just don't have any self-control. Or the college student who binge drinks, binge drinks 
every weekend and we just assume they like to party. How many of us have looked at a pregnant teenager and just assumed she was a whore? Every situation has a story. When was the last time you've been by the old house? Uh, about a year. Wow. Well, like, I talked to my old neighbors and stuff. Oh, yeah? Like, all of them, actually. They're like, we knew something was up, but we didn't really know. We are standing in front of my hell house. A lot of things went on in this house, like torture that has affected me in many ways. When she was at court, the prosecutor basically said she was tortured. Uh, and the defense said, well, she wasn't tortured, but him coming home with a 12 pack under his arm was torture because she knew what was in store for her. When I was in second grade, my mom found this boyfriend, and so my mom couldn't have kids after us. She tied her tubes. And he wanted a kid, like I said, you know, he didn't raise his. So, you know, at 12 or 13, you know, girl goes through what she goes through. And that's when he found out that I could go through it. So he picked me because he knew that I was in the household. So he knew that that kid would be around the whole time. So it wasn't like a stranger going out and having a kid with something, you know what I mean? So it was always, it, he picked me to have his kid. I mean, he's four years old and he's about 90% potty chained for a little guy with Down syndrome. And we know little boys, this, his age is uh, not that far along yet. Good job. <laughs> with the whole parent life group, it gives the girls a chance to take a step out of their comfort zone. We just met weekly, and it was a really nice way to start a solid foundation of talking about Christ and what the girls were doing and what it looked like to be a mom. And it just, all that awkwardness just kind of melted away, and we kind of became a family. So this building behind me is where I finally conquered my monster, my mom's boyfriend. He raped me, and he's Andrew's biological father. He was in control of me for so long that when I got in front of this building and I talked to him, I was in control now. He no longer controlled me and he was finally sentenced to 44 and a half years. Her faith is what got her through. It was. I mean, everything is, I mean, her room is, like she says, she's a child of God. I never want my kids to not feel comfortable in our house. Like, I want them to feel, feel comfortable and know that it's it's love there. It's not nothing else but love and God. You know, like it's 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 there. It's safe, and, and they know that I will never hurt them. God does a beautiful thing that when you obey and you simply move forward, He will equip you along the way. It's faithful Christians just walking and moving and going to places they wouldn't normally go, and then letting God just show them the world. I heard someone say this week that one of the only areas of our life that we have complete control over is how we choose to treat other people. And I believe one place that God gives us enormous amounts of grace is in our love towards other people. 
When Peter writes that love covers a multitude of sins, he's talking about interpersonal relationships, how we interact and how we treat other people. That's the kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. The story of the Good Samaritan is a story of the law versus love. That's why it's so impactful that an expert of the law poses this question to Jesus because quite frankly, if the, the Levite and the priest followed the law by avoiding touching this man if they assumed that he was dead, the Samaritan let love and compassion and mercy rule the day. And whether that man was alive or dead, it didn't matter to the Samaritan because love was more important. I heard a Catholic priest named Jim Keenan, and he said this. He said, sin is not where people are weak but really trying, but but where people are strong and not bothering. And what he means is, it's not, the problem with sin is not when you're trying to do really good and you slip up and you make a mistake. It's when you have an opportunity to do something and you just don't do it. That you choose to walk to the other side of the road. And we all have been there, myself included. I'm preaching to the choir. We've all been there where we've seen somebody in need. We've seen a problem that we could have solved, but it just wasn't convenient. We chose to walk to the other side. Sin becomes a real issue when you're missing the mark because you're not even trying to take the shot. We have a lot of room to grow when it comes to how we love others, especially the people that we make assumptions about, especially the people that don't look or act like us, especially the people that we look at and we just assume they deserve it. I want to just end our time this morning reflecting on Scripture. I'm not going to read the references, but I did put them all in the notes uh, on the Version Bible app, so you can kind of delve into them at House Church if you want. But if you would, would you just close your eyes? If you would bow your heads, if you feel comfortable... Will you just place your hands out, palms up, and just take these verses in? I want to read these verses because these are verses, and this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but these are verses about what God says about love. Love for us, love for others. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. 
love your neighbor as yourself. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Father God, it's hard to love people. Sometimes it's hard to love ourselves. God, I just pray that you would give us the power and the courage and the conviction to love others. God, help us to own the fact that if we don't love others, we can't love you, that we can't love ourselves, that to experience you, we experience that through love. God, forgive us when we don't even try. And we pray these things in Christ's name.